Gentlemen, welcome to Senin Podcast. Today I'm joined by an amazing guest, Mr. Andrew Silong, all the way from Zambia. He's an engineer, a social media strategist, as well as a filmmaker here in China. Andrew, you're welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. And um, yeah, I hope the Sanya pod- Podcast yes. um, reaches many people around the world in the coming in during this year, I hope by every single person that's here in China, uh, the foreigners, we push this podcast to go out there. And also, I hope the Chinese people that can speak English get on to this platform as well. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Um, who is Andrew? For someone that does not know you. Hmm. Who is Andrew? Do I even know who's Andrew myself? <laughs> okay, yeah. So, so Andrew is an individual that comes from Zambia. Christian individual coming from Zambia and um, I've been in China for the past I was about to say 10 years because I keep speaking to everybody who's 10 years in China I've been in China for four years going on about five in September and yeah I came with a dream of um, learning about engineering and also being closer to the factories and everything here in China so that's basically Andrew mainly I Number one is Andrew is a Christian. <laughs> Why do you highlight the Christian part of it? Um, I I highlight that because usually, you know, when people look at me, I'm not one that consistently will be pushing the agenda of Christianity uh, on the pl- um, on any platforms. Like when it comes to speaking about God, these days there's a lot of fake prophets and uh, a lot of um, people who just fake it they leave the fake world and word of god so yeah i i mentioned being a christian because when you if you take time to look back at my content that i work on there's a limit to what i do and a limit to what kind of message i put out there uh, because of my background as a christian so yeah um you'll see maybe some of the work like my filmmaking and everything the first goal is not for me to get somebody's money. The first goal is for me to provide us. When it comes to engineering, the first goal is not for me to outshine anybody out there. The first goal is for how can this benefit humanity or other people there out there. And I'm not most of the videos I make, I don't earn any money. I'm making it to help people. So yeah, that's why I put that out. Everything that I do is driven by Christ. And the face of it is. If what would Jesus do as Christian? So how do you keep your Christian faith in a country like China? It's how do Christian. I keep? Mm, yeah, it's for foreigners. Um, but I'm one that doesn't go to the club unless there's a job for me to do there. And um, I, I don't drink. I don't smoke. And um, I don't womanize. So it's difficult, but it also makes it worth it. Being a Christian is not an easy to understand that. Uh, it actually, being in a place like this tests your faith. If you came here with uh, the faith background, I've made friends who say, oh my gosh, being in China made me 
know God more. But for me, it's like being in China makes every single passage that I've seen, I've, I've read in my past come to life. Like uh, the prophecies and everything, you can see them like play out in real life. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, I think the foundation was strong enough for me to be able to survive and maintain my faith while being here. Okay. <laughs> then your engineering journey. Um, um, you say that when you're given work with your engineering thing, you do it to change yeah. or cause an impact. Yeah. Um, tell me about you, Andrew, the engineer. Andrew, the engineer. Okay. So <clears throat> starting uh, how I got into engineering, uh, when I was back in Zambia, I I used to live in a very small city. It's called uh, Luansha, and it's on the Copper Belt, northern central side of uh, Zambia. So uh, growing up, I was raised in a family where there was like eight children and I was adopted. So, and um, my siblings, older, because I was the last born, uh, my siblings would break something in the house and everything would be blamed on Andrew. Something breaks, Andrew broke it. At, uh, maybe our parents buy us a nice toy, like uh, the remote control toys. Older kids would break it and they would say, Andrew broke it. And I would get an ass whooping. <laughs> so, yeah, in the end, I would be crying and then I would pick it up and I'll be looking at it and oh, and I'll try to put it back together. And sometimes it didn't work. And then those times when I would try to put it together and it worked, I was like, oh, I fixed it. I fixed it. It was just, it just came out. And it's, ah, good, good, good. And then I'm still crying. Uh, and because of that repetition, I just, I started uh, having push to want to repair more things. Like I could fix this. Maybe I could fix the other thing that broke last time. If I could fix this, I would fix the other thing. And with that thing, um, maybe the neighbor would say, look, and uh, one of our kids broke this toy. And then I'm, ah, this is something that broke at my house. Let me try and fix it. And then I would fix it. And then it just grew into something else where like neighbors would bring things to our house and, oh, ah, there's a little Andrew that can fix something for you guys. And yeah. That, that's how I started uh, fixing things in my early age, like I was in grade seven at that time. And then I got I, junior engineers and technicians. Uh, it's a very, very famous thing in my country. I don't know if they're still doing it now, but then like it's for junior engineers. So I got into that and I would be making projects and every single time I would go there, maybe I would like uh, least second prize or first prize. And I, when I got to like, secondary school which is like grade nine um i managed to scoop out first position in an international uh event for the national jets fair for so all the students from different schools and universities uh different high schools would go to the one of the capitals of zambia so there's lusaka and then there's livingston so livingston is where we had like a very big um place where they would come and gather and for a whole week make your projects fix them and put them together and everything like that and yeah I competed in that I scooped out first prize and yeah everything was just I was interested in uh, designing I was the top student in my um, card design like where you, you sketch and draw everything in my high school I was the top student 
in my secondary school, I was the top student for uh, drawing and everything. So uh, not drawing, like sketching pictures of things, but designing things and everything. Um, it's, it was called GMD, uh, geometric something design. Yeah, but GMD was the abbreviation for it. To China, uh, I, coming to China was after I, I had opened up my own little business in my town. From the people that used to bring things to our house for repair, I decided, okay, when I was graduate, when I finished high school, the day I finished writing my final examination paper, I had saved up some money, like 700 kwacha, which is equivalent to maybe like 200 RMB. And I had saved up that money. And uh, just after writing the final paper, I went to my dad um, and Patrick Coleman, he's uh, my adopted dad. So I said, um, uh, help me buy a desk because I can't lift it by myself. Forms after writing my final day, my dad never forgets this day. I took that, la the little money that I had saved up, went to a store, bought a table, and I bought um, some repair kits. And uh, I had already talked to a man next to our house because our house was in the middle of the town center, uh, somewhere near the town center where the shops were. So there was a man next to our house. I asked him if I could rent some space in his office, maybe a corner and be fixing people's things. My mom, sometimes people would be knocking in the, almost in the night, like, maybe 7 p.m. and they'll be knocking saying, can you, can Andrew fix this for me tomorrow because I can't go to the gate. So my mom would be like, no, you need to find a place to be fixing these people's things. So I'd approach that man and that I was willing to pay for like electricity and maybe some re small rental fee. And he said, no, Andrew, I'm really uh, proud of what you're doing. I'll give you this space for free. And uh, I didn't pay anything for that space. And, and or, it was actually a really nice, very big space from my convenience. And yeah, the day I graduated, bought the table, went there, opened up shop. I sent messages to people. I went to people's doors. I told them I've opened up my business. If you want to fix something, you need to bring it to this place. And posted on Facebook and everything. And it, it was like magic. There was uh, older people that were already fixing things in our town. But because, you know, uh, older people have got other responsibilities like taking care of their children, um, they just need to pay their rent and all those things. For me, I didn't have those burdens. So it was like the excitement of just wanting to serve. So when people now were bringing things for, to me for repair, I'll just, the same day they bring it, I'll be able to repair it because I've, I have no extra pressure. Nobody is calling me to say, hey, the baby is blah, blah, blah. And those are the people I was, I was in competition with. So yeah, but then I had no other responsibilities except to serve my customers. And in a very short period of time, the, the, in my little city, everybody was saying my name. If you want something fixed, take it to Andrew. He'll do it the same day while he does it and you can watch him do it. And people were just coming and storming in. I, I didn't know it would be that big. And when I saw how big it became, I got like I was getting enough money. I was able to buy more equipment, uh, start selling, like buying laptops from South Africa and I got to a point where I was ordering things on eBay and selling them. And yeah, it just kept growing. Then uh, some rovers came to my shop and I was at church at that time. And some guys broke into my shop. They, they just parked a car outside the shop, took everything and put it in the back of the car. And so many stories, not enough time. <laughs> but that was one of the turning points. A lot of people money. Like, because... Uh, some of the equipment 
some of the things that were stolen, like laptops belonging to other people, uh, worth maybe $500 or even less or more. And um, some of those people wanted to go to the police station, but then I had already gone to the police station the moment the incident happened. And they gave me like a note. I put it on my wall. But then, yeah, God's, God's grace got through that situation. I got hired to work for, I came into contact with another company and I started working for that company, skipping a lot of things and details uh, just so I don't waste people's time, you know. Uh, but then like uh, there's been a lot of things, good and bad, that have added up to me keeping on uh, doing this. Uh, trusting in God and maybe somebody listening to that previous story might have wondered saying did you work your way and get the money and then pay those people back very uh, miraculous way you know like God works through miracles you know I was sitting there uh, there was these MTN like promotions uh, where people would like uh, you uh, MTN would send you uh, and uh, you'd just reply maybe to say number one number two number three it's like uh, they were doing this promotion to promote their brand. And a lot of people were participating, you know, and people were winning like there would be a winner. And I was saying, there's so many people participating. There's no way I can win. Let me just try. And I, you know, I don't like watching football. And <laughs> I, I, I literally have uh, very little knowledge about which team plays well, which team is the best. And I just, I replied to one of those messages. And I, I think I pressed four or something. Um, for who's gonna score some who's gonna uh, score how many goals for that match and i just replied and next thing i'm receiving a phone call from mtn and they're telling me uh you've won 10,000 uh, about 10,000 kwacha or something like and i'm like I, I don't believe this are you for real please hold on i'll call you back so i went home and i called them back with my mom and i was like uh maybe it's scammers because i had I had an experience of somebody scamming me in the past. <laughs> so I went to my mom and like, you know, some people from MTN called me and they told me I won 10,000. And we put a loudspeaker and she was like, oh yeah, you really won. And that's, that, that's the money I used to pay most of the people that their stuff was stolen from our shop, from my shop. And um, yeah, I went, that identified me through my shop. They found me through my shop. Um, I worked with them. Uh, for a year before I came to China and yeah, things were okay. The company name was King's Construction and they were into uh, construction and heavy duty machinery. So I got in there for, to help with the electronics, uh, finding problems with the electronics on their machines and also like uh, providing services like installa installation of biometric systems and uh, security cameras. So they would get contracts and then I'll be the one to be there to like install those things or source the parts because I had more an in-depth understanding about dealing with customers in the electronics and electrical field. Yeah, so um, working with the other engineers for the mechanical engineering, I got very interested in mechanical engineering. Before that, I was like, nah, I don't want to deal with any big things where I have to go inside to fix it. I just want to put something on the table, open it up, fix it up. I can put all the spare parts on the table. That's That was my perception before. But then when I worked with that company, I was like, yo, I want to get inside something. It's a big moving machine. Fix it up and put it together to put it together. And yeah, I, I love that. I'm like, I need to know more information about this. 
before coming to China, I was able to do uh, hydraulics after working with that company. I can do hydraulics. I could do idlers and truck chains for the big heavy duty machinery. Like I, I know A to Z on uh, traction and hydraulic systems and how the hydraulic pump system works on the machine. So I was like, nah, I need with this, um, most of the people like you can't just go and in, walk into like a mine or a factory and be like, okay, I want to work here. Um, I know this information. They're going to pay you less if you don't have the paper. So I was like, okay, uh, why not go to China and get that paper? Came here. It was a breeze, uh, to be honest. <laughs> uh, my university life was a breeze because I, I already had like the experience from the field. What we're learning in class was just things I had already experienced in um, while working. So it's, yeah, the theoretical part, just read, but then I already had an in-depth understanding. And then uh, the designing part, I was just, I love designing. I love drawing. I love putting together, finding problems and then uh, reshaping them and redesigning them. And yeah, even uh, the designing part of it was just a breeze through. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And then, um, you know, when I got here, I, I, like most people, I had the wrong perception about China. Uh, I thought this gonna this was going to be like a busy place and everything. Uh, it is in some city, central uh, places of a particular city, it is busy. But then like um, in most cities, it's not that busy. It's not that crowded. It's just the university. And then, yeah, you got your shops and everything. But then having access to be able to go into the factories is much easier in China than in the USA, than in Africa. Even in Africa, if somebody has a factory, for you to get into that factory, you need to call up somebody, have a connection, and then they can tell you, oh, yeah, you need to, you can come in now. But in China, you can go on, uh, is it 1688, uh, one of those websites, uh, find the factory, contact them and say, I would like to visit your factory and I'm interested in learning about what you're doing. And they'll, they'll tell you, come, when are you ready to come? We'll get you lunch, we'll buy, we'll get you into a hotel. They want to expose themselves to more international brands and uh, just the international, anybody coming from the diaspora, they want them to be uh, involved in what they're doing. So yeah, uh, having access to the factories made it even more worth it while being here. So yeah, that's how my that's my little engineering journey before coming to China. <laughs> wow, wow. Um, now that you've graduated in China, um, do you think the skills you have can cause a difference in Zambia? A whole lot. There's only one limitation. What? <laughs> <laughs> do you do you actually need me to mention this? Our governments huh? and also the mindset of our people. So, you know, um, and whether this goes online or not, like my my plan uh, for when I go back, I, I was actually planning to go back to Zambia last year, but then I can't go back without having a somewhere to be able to start from to make an impact. I can go back with the knowledge I have, but for me to be able to move that and be an impact, uh, uh, be more of an impact to my country, is if I've, I have somewhere to start from, like I have some equipment, I have some money, and then I, I'll be able to move around, move a little, a little bit of things and then be able to hold gatherings. You can't just call people and not feed them and then teach them without uh, feeding them. Uh, that's, that's my perspective. 
if I'm going to teach you something, even if I'm giving it to you for free, I better feed you so that I know that you're 100% going to get what I'm talking about. Or I better give you the next step. For example, okay, guys, we can uh, fix our roads by doing this. And I have this amount of money. Let's do a demo project in this area of our uh, city. Or we can install our own security system so that we can have businesses come and invest in our city. Those kind of ideas. Not, oh, we need to go to the government to get up this, uh, which is what the mindset of most Africans is. Okay, I've graduated. I have a PhD or something. I'll go back to Africa, go to my government, give them what my idea is, and hopefully the government gives me money to me to start this. Um, my perception has always been do something, then other people that are willing to help you move that to a bigger or on a larger scale will automatically come in. And every single time I've done that, God has always been push and boost, uh, add those booster rockets to whatever I was doing. Even my education. I was paying for my own education here. And, um, you, do, you know, during COVID-19, there was no literally a little or no way to make money. But then God always puts people to help and boost the dream because you're doing something towards it. So, yeah, my goal has always been when I leave China, I'm going to educate for at least one or two years, find people that can work with me to achieve the dreams that I want to do, uh, to do with engineering and also the company that I want to build. And uh, it's one to two years education period. And during that education, those people are going to be paid by me. But then I can't go back if I don't have that money to pay them. I haven't made any promises to anybody. That promise is between me and God. But I share this with other people because some people are thinking, I'll go back and start a company or I'll start ordering things from China or they are ordering things from China and sending them back home. But that doesn't create any long-term solution. You should be able to provide long-term. I told you before I came to China, I was ordering things online and selling them in my country. When I came here, I'm not ordering things here and sending them to Zambia. I'm trying to find how can we make these things back in Zambia. How, what is the factory process that makes it so impossible for us to do it in our own countries? Why are some Africans able to do it and some Africans not able to do it? That I'm trying to answer in these four days, um, the different companies I work into. Yes, I'm being invited for a cup of tea and learning about their business, but it's also a connection for my next step in the future. And also learning a little bit about what they're doing to apply to that grant plan that I have for Zambia, for uh, the other uh, parts of Africa. So, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I love that. I love that. I love that initiative. Wow. Um, let's talk about your filmmaking career. <laughs> um, what has been your highlight, your success in that area? Look back and you're okay. like, I did it. Um, I, I haven't done it. Uh, I haven't done okay, it. So when, it comes, when, when it comes to filmmaking, um, when you look at everything around us, it runs around promotion, runs around. So every movie, every blockbuster that we watch online is something that's hyping. There's an agenda that is being hyped. So as I told you, God works in mysterious ways. When I came to China, I thought I would be fixing people's laptops and phones so that I can earn a bit of money to feed myself and to pay for bills and the likes. But when I got here, I found out every single corner is a store that repairs phones and laptops. 
almost every corner you walk to. So automatically, that was not an option for me to do because they are going to be cheaper, they're going to be quicker, and they have more experience. So I had to find something else to do. So one of the things I looked at is most of the foreigners, when they come to China, they all want to become famous. They all want to become influ influencers online. So even before I started shooting, I was shooting for other people and that's how I'd earn some money. And yeah, some people will look at it and be like, oh, disgusting. The real filmmakers, I don't see myself as a real filmmaker. I did filming uh, because I like uh, documenting things. Even from my past, like the literary experiences I was talking about, I documented those. And then when I saw it, I saw it when I arrived in China, everybody wants to be famous. How can I use, utilize that? I invested in a camera started shooting music videos, started shooting uh, dance videos for different people. And then eventually during, after COVID-19, I was like, okay, you know, I shoot all these videos for everybody else. Why don't I start promoting the robot solution brand? So to build, we're, again, and I was helping other brands like Chinese brands come up, which we'll talk about later on, I hope so. Yeah, so the filmmaking, process for me started for me to be able to earn something and uh, also be able to survive in China. I'm not like the uh, filmmakers that are coming from backgrounds where the family, most of the filmmakers I know, I'll be honest with you, they're coming back, they're coming from backgrounds where they have financial support from their families and they're able to buy equipment. They're able to invest time in learning these things because they have a financial backing. But then for somebody who has no financial backing, getting into it from the word go, even before like you have 100% uh, experience, it's like, okay, I just want to earn a little bit of money and provide a service. So how can I provide this service really well to people that they can pay me? So I learned it so that to, to a point where I can be able to pay me back. Um, you've said that thing that everyone here in China wants to be famous. <laughs> What's your view on it? What's your take on it? Um, again, at the beginning of this conversation, I told you it's, it's all about God, not about me. Uh, uh. Why was I filming other people and not filming myself? Because personally, I believe in the persona that I should not try, as human beings, we should not promote ourselves uh, to overshadow people's perspective of who is more important. Uh, as believer, as a believer, I believe, um, I don't know, are you Muslim or are you Christian? I'm Christian. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So as a believer, I think um, the number one goal is for us to uplift God. Anytime I feel in the presence of God in everything I'm doing, I step back because I do not want my name to be mentioned before, uh, before people see that it's only God. So yeah, that, that is one thing that... <laughs> When I see everybody else, they're making the persona that, oh, look at me, look at me, look at my body, look at my uh, dance moves and everything. There's some people who do it, and at the same time, they do give glory to God. But uh, most of them, it's me, me, me. I, yeah. And anytime anybody is going to say me, 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 they end up spending more money and making less money most of the times. So, yeah, that, that's my perspective. <laughs> yeah. Um so with your with your filmmaking um how how would you want to engage in the zambian film industry um not per se um well when it comes to filming um the only way i'm going to engage in is the other thing we'll talk about later on and i'll tell you how it goes hand in hand 
uh, filmmaking and um, social media, being a social media strategist and how to put brands out there in a, uh, in an authentic now it's become famous to go to be, to trend. There's certain elements, which given the time I'll share with you certain elements that can be done to make, and it's easy. And most, most people, content creators already know about this. So, and I've done tests on some of my, on the comment section, it's actually a test. If I do this video, if I do this to this video, what's the result? And I put those little comments under the video and you can see them like, oh, this is just a test to see if the algorithm does this, or this is just a test to see if the algorithm does this. And I'm, I'm talking about the algorithm because that's something that uh, when I was in China, it's like something that also started fascinating me and I started learning about it like maybe two years ago. So yeah, it's, it's all about the algorithm and knowing what, what can play with it, what it can do for you. And yeah, I know most people throw it out there like, ah, oh, just make a video that, that does this, does this, but there's more in-depth steps for when it comes to brands, businesses, and uh, being a social media play out and you'll be able to see and you, you know exactly what you need to do to move something. Let's talk Just... about social media. One thing that I'm <laughs> passionate about, though, and you're yeah. highlighting it. Um, yeah. Your social media strategies. Yeah. Um, what does that really do, though? Okay. So this this is a very uh, our time right now because uh, we live in a world where everybody is connected. And um, for you to be seen out there or for you for a brand to be able to reach out to most people um, engaged on social media. That's number one. Uh, when you go on any social media platform, you need to know that there's a mechanism working behind that platform, which is what we come to call as the algorithm. But uh, if, you've, if you've done any study about algorithms and how they work, you'll find out that the viewers are connected to the algorithm and the likes and everything. But there's, there's other elements that play beyond that. And uh, that's where a social media strategist comes in the one who's going to be able to sit down, look at the background data of particular account to start a business that is already similar to what somebody else is doing out there. And as, as a social media a strategist, you do have access or you can buy access to certain platforms where you'll be able to see by particular became successful. What made them become successful? Rather than just going on any uh, any particular account and then you see oh the will smith or uh sanya podcast they've got one million followers and oh this kind of video went really well this kind of video really went well but as a social, social media strategist you need to look at the background data uh dating back to before they became successful to when they became successful and what elements uh in the algorithm and where their reach is what country and what devices their viewers use and so many little intricate uh things that drive a brand's identity and how it developed. And then once you have all that information, now you can present it to a customer, potential customer, and give it to them and tell them, okay, for your brand, your brand is similar to this account or similar to this brand, and we can drive a sale towards this direction, or we can content for your brand, uh, which is gonna take a different, uh, maybe a, a longer period of time. And then it will, for us to drive this kind of uh, following, or we, if we want people who are going to be able to buy from you, we need to do this type of things. If we want people who are just going to uh, cheer and support the brand, way, we need to do this type of content. So as a social media strategist for a brand, 
that wants to make money, we don't necessarily go for people who are just cheering. We go for people who are actually going to spend money. And there's information on how to actually act with people. So that's that's basically what I used to do and actually do, still do right now here in Shenzhen and uh, China. Um, yeah. You've said about the social media strategy thing. So how does a business that wants to, is best in China, yeah. expand with the limitations China has with social media? How US social media strategy? Ex expand in China or expand where? In diaspora. In the diaspora. Abroad. So uh, currently, you know, there's uh, the TikTok thing going on. Mm. And uh, most of most of the people, uh, foreigners here in China actually get, who are getting into the TikTok thing are usually going to be hosts. So they're going to be like uh, on the live streaming, either behind the camera talking and everything, or in front of the camera for the beautiful ladies, they're going to be in front of the camera and they're going to be talking and live streaming. So for me, I had the opportunity to do both. So being in front of the camera and also being the person that teaches people to do it. Because uh, even before the TikTok boom happened, I was already doing my own live streams on other platforms uh, like YouTube. I was doing on uh, Alibaba for my own uh, like business and stuff. And also just uh, been having conversations with uh, different that want to purchase things in China. Uh, be, being able to find uh, companies or factories that would supply to them gave me access to knowing, okay, this uh, a potential customer, this is how you engage with the customer and keep them on the loop. Because some of the customers would say, okay, uh, when you go to the factory, you, we, can you do a conference, video conference and show us the products and explain to us about the details and everything. And I would have like maybe 10 people from a particular company or a group of people who on that live video call, it would just be a call. Uh, but now with the opening up of TikTok, where you can have just random people coming into the room and they are watching your live and you're sharing information about something or selling a, a particular product. For me, I already had that experience and I already knew how to drive the numbers. I already had uh, the perception on how to engage with the audience during that particular kind of setup. So I was able to, even for the companies that I worked with, I was able, they would, they would be able to see that I'm able to do it professionally from, I'm able to teach people on how to make people engage with other people. And then on top of that, uh, because these accounts cannot run basically just on live streaming, they need to run on um, videos as well. So the video aspect on knowing what, uh, what kind of videos can be made. So the filmmaking, as you call it, uh, what kind of videos will drive people to gravitate towards our brand? So giving them th those ideas and coming back and applying it as a so uh, social media strategist, a brand is now having the access to the outside world, even though they say VPN is banned in China and you do need to access VPN for you to access TikTok uh, for the international version. You need VPN. The companies are here in China. So they already know this is going on. It's, there's nothing that's literally banned. As long as you guys are making clean money, they're not gonna, they're gonna be like, okay, it's banned, but it's not banned for the, so yeah, you can still have your brand thrive. Sure, the same way you access Instagram, the same way you access Facebook is how the businesses will be able to access it. <laughs> uh, okay, um, one last question about social media. Um, yeah. 
what are the misconceptions about social media that you'd want to debunk are there any misconceptions would you say that uh, <laughs> especially about the tiktok algorithm that is addictive which is kind of true okay one. yeah so the whole debate going on in america you know anybody on the top of things has more information than the average person i'll give you there's very little misconception it's just a hidden agenda on both sides you understand so when it comes to tiktok the hidden agenda for <clears throat> our people here the owners of tiktok the hidden agenda is they're about to take over the e-commerce that's the hidden agenda they will the big people in america already know this once it's um, which it was done like uh, they opened up the chain of goods on tiktok by americans directly through tiktok not leaving and going to shopify and the likes through tiktok you, they can watch live and purchase something directly from china that's going to take away from an average american that orders things from china and ships them to the usa so the big top guys there they already know this and they don't want that to happen uh for the average user it's like oh tiktok pays me uh for me to post some videos and you want to take that away from me you understand so it's the they call it the herd mentality when you have a herd of people behind you it's difficult for people to for somebody to come and push you away because there's so much support that is coming in and the people that are following do not know exactly what they're pushing and once once that uh they inject the whole mentality of being able to purchase through tiktok and everything and there's a lot of things that are going to collapse and our they've already started collapsing uh for example ali uh, alibaba ebay they won't be as successful as they are right now if tiktok is given the full power even when they opened two months ago tiktok was was given a limitation as to say uh in america when they click that little yellow basket they do not directly order from tiktok it takes them to shopify so tiktok was forced to partner with shopify for the american market you understand that uh but that didn't work still the americans in, went in numbers and are going in numbers to purchase from the tiktok platform and at the same time there's a lot of people now uh the bad uh players in the chinese market that are going with counterfeit products so now the americans can come in and say in the future when everybody knows the agenda is about e-commerce the american government can come and say and say you see we were trying to stop this but now you guys are getting counterfeit products and there's so many people complaining but when they go directly saying oh we're trying to protect you so that so that china doesn't take over the everybody's going to say eh we don't care or they're going to say eh we haven't seen it so they need to see it for them to believe it so right now the only thing they can bring to the table is they're spying on you guys and do you know when i mentioned uh, about being a social media strategist and having access to information do you know where we're getting that information from <laughs> that information is being sold so everything they being sold and so on it's just it's a two-sided coin that pays for one bill so you give that coin to it's going to say oh it's still a coin this is the coin i want you flip it to the other side it's still the same coin and people still want it so whether you say it's an e-commerce platform that is going to use your information to drive sales for particular products to you specifically people are still going to want to use the platform because they're already addicted to it it is addictive 
that everybody can attest to, even the people that are working here. But the top guys, the business, the real business, uh, from again, going back to everything I do, I try to put God first, and then I know the right decision to make. Um, for the average businessman or the regular businessman, all about making money, they do not care what the individual that uses their product is going to get out of it or lose out of it. All they care about is the numbers they're going to get out of that product. <laughs> so, yes, the, the misconceptions, there are no misconceptions, I believe so. Uh, currently, for, from every point of view that has been put out there about these platforms and what they do, listening and you know that question that is trending right now there was something they got a clip from uh the video the interview where he was asked does tiktok access uh wi-fi you know that sounds like a really stupid question but for from an engineering perspective that question was asked uh too broadly you understand the question was only asked too broadly of course everybody will say oh that's a stupid question tiktok accesses wi-fi but when you a micros, uh, microscopic press, every single program that we have has terms and conditions that we accept. And once you say, okay, access my, the platform will be able, might have little bugs that can access, for example, your fridge that is on your Wi-Fi that says the things that are in your fridge. This application that you installed, give an example, let's not call it TikTok, call it Facebook. Facebook has access to your Wi-Fi. Your Wi-Fi has um, gadgets like your smart fridge, which has information about the groceries you buy every single week. And giving that access, now your Facebook can your Facebook can tell your your fridge can tell your Facebook app that you purchased so many items this week because all those items that are in the fridge have an FRID, so that FRID has to be logged in, and now that information can be given to big corporate brands and they can advertise specific products to your Facebook because your Facebook accessed your fridge. So yeah, when he says, uh, does uh, TikTok uh, access your Wi-Fi? He asked it too broadly, but that question has substantial weight to it from an engineering perspective. Any engineer, any good engineer, software engineer will not laugh at that question. The average masses can laugh at it from, <laughs> yes, of course, it needs to work. You understand? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, judging by your career and your experiences, both in China and Zambia, yeah. um, what advice would you give the youth right now? The advice I would give the youth right now is not to rush. Mm -hmm. The world right now is moving so fast. And um, then the new, newer generations, the people that didn't experience what's happening, what happened or the technologies that are coming out now, they just maybe are born today or born five years ago and you ex get to experience these fast paced technologies. It's a highway to death. So you rush, you crash. Uh, there's a, a mentor I had, uh, he always used to tell me, Andrew, you rush, you crash. And when you look at, it's in a rush, in a rush to have information, in a rush to make a sale, in a rush to solve the problem. So you rush, you crash. Uh, even with the aspect of chat GPT, most people are saying it's going to crash the education system and so on and so forth. Um, 
when there's no foundation of uh, being able to know what are the repercussions of making a mistake, uh, there's no strong, strong. Uh, what, what do you got? There's no strong foundation for a building to be built on. So the mistakes are the reason why China has grown to this point, has developed to this point. Yes, these says and build the whole community and the environment, but then um, even on social media, how could somebody? You might ask, how how would somebody be rushing in social media when you rush at a very young age to get on social media and become famous? You're prone yourself to the internet bullies. Um, you're exposing yourself to so many elements, the pornography, sorry to say that, but then it is what it is. It's there, whether we like it or not. And you're exposing to yourself to other dangers or having your children exposed to those things um, at a very early stage in their brains are not fully developed. Danger to the human society. And at a certain point, the government would have to come in and say, okay, this needs to be stopped, this needs to be stopped because it's too, moving too fast to control. And in a world without control, everything is. So, yeah, in as much as, uh, yeah, you want to get on social media, you need to get on an open mind and open eye to know that you're ready for the different things that are available on those platforms. And Get their children uh, on these platforms or for for the parents I, I know parents who have their kids uh, maybe they record the videos of the family and uh, they post online and everything they tell stories about their family and they post online and in some sense that's okay in some in another sense you are depriving uh, how much time does it take to make those videos how much time does it take to edit those videos and to come up with that content uh, you have your child now growing around this that in some cases is fake. In some instances, in most instances, actually, it's fake because uh, you, you have to put out a certain persona for people to watch. And uh, that child will always be in this kind of mindset for a very long period of time. And they're, they're not given the real element of life for them to be able to grow. And for somebody else, like, oh, I just want to earn money on social media and become famous and stuff. For the girls, they could, yes, undress because it's the quickest way. And when I say undress, it's then maybe they're wearing less clothes so that guys can look at them and come online. But then as, as the uh, women, the value there is lowered and the expectations of that woman are lowered by society because you've exposed yourself. We've seen everything we need to see about you. Uh, instead of us seeing what we what you have in your head, we've now seen everything out. What we see on your outward appearance might block us from seeing what is inside your head. And it takes a longer period of time for you to share what's already shown your outward appearance. Because the, anytime I'm talking to you, the only thing I'm thinking about now is that video you posted about yourself being half naked or that picture you posted about being half naked. And i sorry to take too long about this. But then, yeah. It has its has it adva its advantages. It's a very nice way to learn, but it's more difficult to learn because it's very difficult to control what information comes to you as the user. Yeah. Okay. Um, my final question in this amazing discussion would be: um, What makes you a proud African and Zambian? I take a pause because um, am I proud to be African and Zambian? Yes, 
Am I proud of being an African with the current African state? No. Yeah. If I was proud of Africa, I would be shouting and sharing about Africa from Africa. I would be learning from Africa. But right now I came here so that uh, we could go back and boast about Africa. Boast about the minds we have in Africa. But the problem right now is... I cannot be super proud about it because there's a lot of corruption. Uh, there's a lot, excuse me, excuse me. There's a lot of nepotism going on, and uh, yeah, certain, a lot of things that we need to change as the future generation of African leaders. And um, I know everybody says it's survival of the fittest. You take care of yourself, take care of your family, and that's it. Yeah, but uh, you know. <laughs> I have a hero complex where I want to save, to save people. I want to save uh, my country. And um, at the same time, I, my parents told me, my adopted parents told me one thing. You cannot help people if you don't have the capacity to help people. The problem we have in Africa is we have a lot of people without being able to help people financially. They don't have the financial capacity to help people. So when they get into positions where they're supposed to help people, they end up becoming thieves. Because what they find there is overwhelming. For example, somebody's going to come with a contract telling them, I'm going to give you $1 million. Just give us this thing and let us do this. And they accept it. So, yeah, there's a lot of, th uh, as a future generation of Africa, there's a lot of things. Some people need to make sacrifices for Africa to change and go the direction where we can say, I'm super proud of being African. I'm super proud of being black. I'm super proud of being, uh, having the mindset I have. Am I proud of being uh, tied to the name Zambian? I should be, but there's so many elements that keep me from saying I'm proud of it. The corruption, number one. Zambians in China are known to be drunkards. They drink a lot. Number two, right? So am I, should I be proud to be called Zambian? I'm proud to be Andrew the Zambian. <laughs> and uh, I want to bring a change to my country, uh, which is why I'm not going to be here advocating for Africa. I'm here advocating for trying to make the change in Zambia, which will affect other, which will create a ripple effect to other people and actually show a difference. Yeah. Amazing, amazing, amazing. I highlighted some good points there. <laughs> uh, okay, Andrew, it's nice having you on our podcast. And we look forward to having you again. Uh, more in person, more in person. I hope we can do, uh, actually, not just the podcast. Um, yeah. I was talking to Kanala a yeah, few yeah. days ago. And, um, you know, it's one thing for us to be here in China. And uh, we see all these things. And then when we go back to... Our countries, we want to shout, hey, this, let's do this, let's do that. Uh, and while we're here in China, we're not doing anything together, you know. Um, one of the things I did speak about, and I would like to speak with you, uh, whether you put this on the interview uh, or not, I just want to share with you, like, there's creatives doing dancing, there's creatives doing uh, art, there's creatives uh, doing videography, there's creatives doing YouTube vlogs and everything. Um why can't all these people come together for 